Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, today I'm catching up with American artist, graffiti writer, product designer, and graphic designer, Persuay. How you going? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. No worries. So, um, you're a very diverse, uh, creative person, and you, um, I read on your website that you come from a creative family. So, um, yeah. like, what type of art did you grow up around? Well, uh, um, I guess uh, just kind of like my my parents' um, collection, really, of whatever prints they had that they were they were um, purchasing, you know, or whatever was on the wall. I really didn't wasn't exposed to too much um, outside of just that, you know. So, um, you know, I think that um, uh, it was always something that my mom and grandmother would say is that I was, uh, you know, that there were artists in my family and I, you know, I just didn't, uh, I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, they hadn't really shown me anything and they were, they would say, Oh, you're, you know, your great uncle Nichols satin stain, you know, is, a he had stuff in the Smithsonian and he was just a, a Lithuanian artist that came to America. Just, um, just broke, you know, just, uh, was really, you know, just a poor and starving artist, I guess, and, and came to America and made a name for himself. He had, uh, painted a portrait of, uh, um, William Hurst, I believe it was. And, um, from that, just the door swung open and he started painting portraits of presidents and movie stars and, uh, important uh american figures i guess at the time rich ones and you know he was able to make a living through that so being young and and you know maybe say like four or five years old and and drawing i think my grandmother was the first one to say well you know david has the artist in him you know he's an artist and you know i I didn't really get that at first but I guess that's the extent of it. I wasn't really kind of like exposed. My mom wasn't taking me to the museums and exposing me to artists. My grandmother mostly did that. And we really loved Klimt and, and Egon Schiele, or I forget how you say his name. But so, um, yeah, so those were like probably the earliest things I was exposed to. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So even though they were um, saying that you're creative, did you ever like feel that you could actually make a career as an artist? Oh, I had I had uh, no idea that it was even an option. I was hoping to become a, a professional soccer player or a um, maybe a dentist or something. <laughs> the <laughs> furthest from anything that uh, you know I'm doing today, uh, and it was just kind of like haphazardly through you know graffiti and skateboarding that. Um, through an event in San Diego that I was discovered by Ken Block uh, and Damon Way, who had a t-shirt company by the name of 8-Ball. I think this was in 91 or 92. And um, they were looking just for a young artist that had something raw and fresh to offer. And they uh, they took a chance in me. I, you know, I, tur- I turned in a, a t-shirt design to them uh, on a, a napkin. Uh, and they turned out into a, a graphic that did really well, and um, that just kind of opened up the door uh, for their business, and they just kept on asking me for designs, designs, and then through there, I just met a lot of other skateboard um, companies and, and owners, and they just were all kind of looking for the same things, just a, a young artist that had kind of like its uh, finger on the pulse, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so just backing up a little bit, like before you um, started like developing your your style that uh, you know you're being employed for, did you um, learn all that through uh, meeting other graffiti artists as a kid or anything like that? Yeah, I think that I I, I met. Uh, you know, I just spent a lot of time drawing at one point. I I wasn't really even taking it serious as a child, even though, you know, my parents were buying me art supplies. I was. Um, just, you know, I, I had stopped and just kind of play, playing soccer and playing with my friends and, you know, just doing what young kids were doing. And um, I think when I got the graffiti bug, it was just like, well, you know, I spent, because I come from a big family, there wasn't time for me to do all this other, you know, like sports and stuff. My mom didn't have the time or the energy to take me all around. And so, like, I just gravitated towards, you know, skateboarding and music and um, eventually graffiti. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just spent a lot of time just drawing and I, I don't think I even had a style then. I wouldn't even consider it something. I was, I, I, you know, that was my style or maybe I'm just terribly modest at that point. And I was just drawing and it just kind of worked out. Like people were like, oh, we like your work or we like your characters, you know, and, just kind of like opportunities just kind of presented themselves just where I was at, I think. And, and the skate industry was so prominent in San Diego at the time. Mm. So what, what was it like growing up in San Diego in the eighties? Uh, geez. I mean, we were exposed to the skate culture where I was at was very suburban, but a lot of people skating, a lot of BMX, zero graffiti because it really wasn't uh, around in the early 80s in San Diego. I think maybe the, some of the first writers to come out were like in 83 or 84 or somewhere around there, you know. Maybe some New Yorkers that had come out earlier and done some early pieces in the late 70s, you know. I, I had talked to an artist in New York by the name of Trike who was telling me that, uh, yeah, he painted in, the, in San Diego in 1980, you know, and for me to to kind of like think about that there, nobody was going to even touch a can for another three or four years. You know, there's not, it's not a very artist driven city. There's, there's only so much opportunity, you know, and you know, just people, you know, most of the artists just try to make the best of it. Yeah. Like I know, um, like in the mid to late eighties, there was a lot of, you know, gang related activity happening in like South Central LA. Um, yeah. like, did any of that type of stuff spread down? to um san diego yeah i think the gangs were kind of always down here you know like um i guess just to kind of touch on it i mean chicano park i mean there were gangs in chicano park in the probably the 60s you know and and they had a very prominent mural um chicano park's very famous for its murals and they're them standing up against uh you know change and a lot of the anglos what they want to do to their neighborhood and so they're always, you know, revolting or standing up against, uh, you know, the man, I guess, you know. And um, so they would there was a big uh, there's a lot of walls within Chicano Park that uh, a lot of L.A. Chicano artists were coming down to paint and uh, a lot of Sandy, a lot of prominent Chicano uh, artists in San Diego were painting. I mean, it's really probably some of the earliest murals in Southern California that were being done here in San Diego uh, through Chicano Park and that movement. Um, 
there's a great documentary on YouTube uh, about Chicano Park. I'm sure you could find it um, if you just, you know, search for Chicano Park documentary. And it really goes into depth about uh, that whole, you know, history and stuff like that. So mm. it's really interesting. But uh, gang culture, yeah, it became very popular, you know, especially with the music and, you know, the late 80s. It seemed like a lot of people were getting into being gang, into gangs and it was just very trendy, um, you know, and and uh, we were kind of exposed to that because we were into graffiti writing and um, and uh, also skateboarding because it just I think those three cultures almost are run parallel, you know. Yeah. Um, especially here in Southern California. Uh, it's not strange to go, you know, take the bus from suburbia where I was at down to, say, Chicano Park, where maybe some of your friends are in families that are gangs, but they write graffiti, you know. So I think even before graffiti, I was even exposed to um, to uh, gang culture through Filipino gangs in Southern California, mostly up in L.A. Okay. And did yeah. you ever did you find yourself um, like venturing down south to uh, Mexico as well, considering you're on the border there? Yeah, I mean, I I was going to Mexico really early as a, as a child. My dad would go down there and just, I mean, Mexico like Tijuana uh, is our neighbor, you know, um, right here in San Diego. It's seriously just 15 minutes away from my house, and uh, we would go down there as kids. My dad would go shopping, or you know, there was a you know, uh, clothing outlets down there that you can get really good deals and you could eat and drink and be wild and TJ, you know. And then as we grew up, there was a lot of underage kids going down there to drink during high school. And then when I got into graffiti in the 80s, I don't know if it was, I don't know, even know if there were any writers down there at the time. I think they started to kind of come out like uh, maybe late 80s, early 90s, um, some crews were kind of coming out but uh i started painting down there in tj in about 94 or 95 and then um i started going down there a lot in the early 2000s with a couple san diego and la writers and i would take i would take a lot of european artists that were visiting me and uh i would take them down there for an adventure as well it's just a kind of like a fun place to go and and just kind of like just be yourself you know mm. Not really kind of exciting a exci very exciting city yeah like I like um came up through um Mexico and crossed the border into San Diego from Tijuana, oh, okay. and I, I just yeah. I was blown away at the contrast from either side of the border yeah it was um it's just crazy it's like you know night and day <laughs> it is night and day you know and and it's um it's crazy because there's all these rumors that you know California or the United States was supposed to get Baja California but they it was just, you know, oh, we drew the, long, the, the line wrong or something like that, you know. I'm sure California or the United States would have loved to have had Baja California, such a beautiful stretch of, uh, of coastline, you know. But luckily it stayed in Mexico where it belongs. Yeah, totally. It is weird yeah. to think that, um, the, you know, um, Mexico used to own California or California used to be part <laughs> of Mexico, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, when you're here and you live in, in – uh, in in California, especially San Diego and L.A. even, you know, like you could see where it, it wouldn't be that strange because the culture is so 
intertwined with Mexican culture, you know, like the food and just the landscape and the colors and the history. And I mean, there's a lot of like Native American burial grounds in California. They're always digging up bodies here, you know, when they're trying to build mansions for people and just all kinds of interesting stuff that happens, you know. Once you venture out of your safety zone or whatever you think is safe, like you see like what san diego really has to offer and its connection with a place like you know la and and uh mexico and tijuana yeah so getting back to what you were saying earlier about um about doing work for um ken block and damon way when you were younger so um yeah so you did the uh graphics for for eight ball i, rem- I remember that brand i remember the um the graphics do you actually. yeah a lot of yeah. people yeah you know a lot of older cats they you know they they remember it a lot of people don't though you know but apol would become brands like drawers mm-hmm. and drawers became dub and dub became dc shoes mm. so i was there at the launch i was their founding artist for all those brands and i at a at a when i was 19 years old i was i gave them their kind of visual and artistic or stance or approach with you know whatever was kind of uh you know t-shirt or graphic behind it you know uh, I had never really designed a logo before, but, um, you know, I, I haphazardly designed the DC, uh, original logo and the dub logo and a lot of drawers logos and stuff like that, that were very popular through the nineties and, you know, had a, had a real big kind of like impact on, um, you know, graphic design, uh, I guess our generation, you know, uh, and what became street streetwear. Yeah. I would say that Andy Howell was definitely, I wasn't really aware of him because I was like, uh, I was into skateboarding, but I was like Hasoy and all that stuff. And then I had gotten out of skateboarding and then he was like, kind of like a, a new movement, you know? And then it was around the same time I was getting into skateboarding again, right before I got into graphics, you know, uh, Slick had some, some board graphics for Eric Costin that he had done that I had seen that, you know, I'm a big fan of slicks. And, um, and then I, I noticed that Andy Howell was using Cheech wizard and kind of like the whole Bode aesthetic and, and using that into uh, underworld element. And that spoke to us in volumes as well. And I would later meet Andy Howell and become friends with him, uh, in the early nineties. The first time I met him, he was doing a brand called girly things and Sophisto. And um, he came into drawers with some new graphics he had done because he would already he was already working on um, on the computer doing doing graphics. I, I wasn't even doing that. I was doing everything hand drawn and Ken Block was coloring them and he was trying to get me onto the computer. But I was like, just a oh, like, why would you want to use the computer? I could just draw them and, and you could keep doing it. But like Ken was trying to free up his time because business was getting you know, was picking up and he had, had to stay focused and on other things. And Kim Block's a brilliant man when it, or person when it comes to like, you know, understanding graphic design and marketing and the correlation between, you know, product and I mean, every aspect of it. He was always just really great at it, you know. Um, so I learned a lot from him. But I remember, you know, to get back to Andy Howell, he came in one day and he showed us some graphics and they, they were amazing, you know, like he was doing some really forward stuff. And, you know, Ken leaned over to me in front of Andy and says, 
why can't you do that, Dave? <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, why can't I do that? You know? So at that point, I knew that I had to start learning how to do graphic design on the computer as well. And that's, yeah. uh, especially if I want to keep my, my job. Um, I think it was like maybe a year or two later, right after I did the dub logo and the original DC logo and the pill pattern that they still use to this day on the bottom of their soles was, um, you know, they let me go, uh, because I wasn't really, uh, strong with the computer or graphic design. And Dave Kinsey came in and, and became the graphic artist behind drawers and dub in DC for a little while. Um, yeah. And, and Dave and I became friends, uh, you know, through the industry because back then there was only like maybe three or four artists kind of like doing what we were doing and setting industry standards at the time through the skateboarding, uh, industry, you know? Yeah. It was a crazy time because it, you know, like I started skating in the late eighties when it was all like, um, you know, vision and pal Peralta and, you know, companies yeah. like that that weren't weren't skater owned and run, and then you know in that in right. the nineties when like you know World Industries came out and all those other companies and you know DC was starting and everything else, it was like right. a chance for people to actually start their own thing and instead of being dictated to by the uh, corporations. Exactly, which is exci- which is exciting, you know. Um, I mean, I worked with some some brilliant skaters in my time, you know, and was fortunate to be around a lot of those uh, things that, you know, that we talk about now as history. It, it's like, oh, it was just right there. Yeah. 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 Like, did you, did you find at the time that it was, um, that, did you feel that all that was, that was happening and it was a really exciting time or were you just going through the motions? Oh, no, it was all brand new. You know, I mean, there was the, you know, the goofy boy rave culture and like people were dressing like these ravers and all these bright colors and it was all brand new and, you know, the goofy boy style was kind of like uh, associated with that. But the skaters, it was really short lived, you know, started to take a new direction and getting more into like this whole kind of like refined Nautica type feel, you know, things that were inspired by polo and Nautica and graffiti and and uh, rap music, hip, hip hop and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you were let go uh, by D.C., um, did you, like, what did you do after that? I, uh, was unemployed for about four hours <sighs> and, uh, Tony Magnuson, I had done some skate graphics for him and his art director, Nico, uh, they had heard I was let go and they offered me a job and the, I went in to go work for, uh, uh, evil, um, doing evil skateboard graphics, working with the pros doing that. And uh, we started a division in snowboarding because a lot of skate companies were getting into snowboarding. And uh, eventually we started to make evil shoes. And because there was a conflict with a lot of skateboarders and their shoe sponsors, we had to change the name of evil, um, of evil uh, shoes to Osiris. And so I was there at the launch of Osiris in 95, I think it was. So, um, I think I was at D at, I'm sorry. I think I was at evil for that amount. Of, I think of maybe just for a few years, I think. And I just got really good at the computer and illustration and doing the both and learning how to kind of like what it took to design a, a shoe. Um, and I had a really tough, uh, art director, um, Nico and, uh, 
you know, he would make me redraw things all the time or uh, take new approaches. When I was there for already 12 hours, he would make me stay and draw more. And I think that's what made me very resilient and just kind of like helped with my worth ethic when I had to kind of fall back on myself decades later as a, uh, you know, independent artist with, with Bunny Kitty and stuff like that. So, you know, I had to credit him and, you know, you know, giving me, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, anguish, <laughs> a lot of hard work to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Endurance. He gave me the endurance and I had, a, I had an old graffiti, uh, mentor by the name of Quasar that wouldn't let me take breaks when we would paint. So I would be painting for 10 hours with no breaks. So he wouldn't let me sit down. So like, this is why I can paint for 15 hours, um, you know, or I could sit down and, and paint for 15 hours and get a lot done. Yeah. Well, you've been, uh, you've worked under some tough, tough characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people that I hold near and dear to me is, uh, that have helped me through my career and made, helped make me who I am, I guess, today. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know like, um, like a lot of, uh, graffiti writers skate and, um, like, did you, did you yeah. meet a lot of uh, graffiti writers through working in the uh, skating industry? You know, it, it seemed like everybody in the nineties, like even Danny way and Colin McKay and Ken block, everybody had nicknames and they all wanted to be kind of like graffiti writers and stuff like that. It was very kind of like trendy, but short lived. But then there were a few that kind of like just, um, you know, in, you know, engulfed uh, or got into the entire culture, you know, of being um, a rider and a skater and mostly, mostly kids that weren't necessarily pro. You know, I know that there's pro skaters out there that are into graffiti and that write, but I think most of those skaters that I knew that were riders and, and skateboarders were just kind of like, you know, just normal kids, you know that we're just having fun and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's funny. I had like, um, I had a, a discussion about this with, uh, a group of people I used to work with. I, I, I was a shoe designer and I even was a president for a, a skate shoe company called Vox in around 2007 to 2010. I was working for this company and just great skaters, you know, Drahol Bull and Peter Hewitt and, and, um, you know, Navarrete uh, and Gravette and Eamon, Gu uh, Eamon Guzman and just a lot of great skaters were on that team. And I was working with those guys and I remember doing uh, a capsule with the seventh letter guys and I created a capsule around like, you know, Steel and Reyes and uh, Eclipse and a few other guys like Burke Crack and, and uh, the shoes look great and I didn't we didn't put graffiti on it. It just looked like a lifestyle shoe that was tied into, you know, graffiti. And most of the guys, uh, in seventh letter and MSK, they skated at one point in their lives. And, and, uh, you know, I had like this big old conversation and argument with the people in the company trying to tell them is like that these, these worlds are parallel and that like most of the people, uh, out there that's that skate are into graffiti or, or at least a big, number of them get it they understand it especially on the east coast you know like i don't think you guys really you're giving me a hard time they're just like you know saying oh you know graffiti is blah is shit blah, blah. i was like oh uh. 
it was mostly like it, it wasn't the skaters they just didn't get it you know but that was like the one case in my entire career where i was just like whoa these guys just don't get it yeah yeah it was a trip but like all the way up into that point like people understood it and they wanted it but i was i was always an artist or a graphic artist that didn't do a lot of graffiti elements within my design you know like i wasn't doing dc shoe co t-shirts in graffiti styles like they had other people do that like i was kind of really kind of anti putting graffiti on t-shirts because i felt graffiti was for the walls you know or the trains or whatever else it should be on so yeah i kind of like thought it was like oh selling it out a little bit because Back in the 90s, there was this uh, this saying like, hey, no sellout, no sellout, don't sell it out, don't sell it out. And everybody was like about trying to keep it real, right? So like for me, I guess that was my part. It was like, well, you know, I could just do an illustration of a character or, you know, maybe a jazz scene of hands playing, you know, instruments and make it look cool and make it graffiti-esque or like hip without having to do graffiti letters on, on T-shirts, you know? Yeah. No, that was just my, that was just my approach, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Like I worked in graphic yeah. design for twelve years as well, and just um, yeah, I, you know, people find out I did graffiti and try to get me to bring that into the um design, and it just no way, you know. It just I just two separate worlds. Yeah. yeah, it's funny now because like I have like this this bunny kitty character, and it's like. It's a family-oriented character, but it, it comes from the streets and it's tied to graffiti, which, you know, I don't think it has the same kind of, like, um, you know, restrictions as, say, we did when we were kids in the 90s. Mm. Totally. So, like, with, um, like, you know, you got linked up with a lot of, uh, like, European, uh, like, graffiti writers as well, and crews over there as well um like how yeah. did that all come about was that from um traveling for work or something like that yeah you know i i was uh, it was probably 95 the first time i had taken a trip um and it was i was working for evil at the time uh and they were going on tour with uh matt hensley's brother i was touring with uh, chris hensley and another skater uh adel diani from norway and i think matthias ringstrom was on some uh, part of the trip as well and Everybody was doing their summer kind of like uh, tour. All the all the pro skaters were going to Europe to tour and get to Munster. You know, like they were all getting warmed up and getting ready to get to the Munster uh, skate um, contest. And, you know, we started off in Norway. And, you know, while everybody went to go skate, I was like, well, I'm going to I'm going to paint. And, you know, there was no way to get in touch with every anyone through email or social media because that didn't exist. And so. You know, through the skateboarders, I just said, hey, you know, I want to paint graffiti. Can uh, we arrange something? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know some guys. And they would make some phone calls. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, I was kicking it with, uh, you know, Goal and Pay2 in Norway. And, and uh, you know, that night we went painting. And then from, I mean, we're still friends to this day. You know, it's like 30 years later. Um, and uh, we're still crew and, and, and friends. And and uh you know from there we went down to munster and i met with sula and i met um one two three k clan i mean we were like 20 years old at the time you know maybe 19 20 21 and uh you know i just stumbled upon everybody like uh because outside of the munster contest was the wall of fame uh in in, in germany uh, and so uh 
from there, I just kind of like, I was like, I'm going to go back as much as I can. And I did. I just, uh, people started coming to California and, you know, I, I met Cantu in 98. And then I started traveling to uh, Germany to see him. And then I met Toast through through Cantu. And I met Dare through Cantu as well. And, you know, I have fond memories of painting the Basel train yard with Dare and Resso and Cantu one late cold night, you know. And just these stories that I have of early European travels and, and meeting these guys and creating a bridge between the West Coast and Europe um, which I guess I was kind of doing because uh, they were coming out to hang with me because I was going out there to hang with them. Yeah. And I think I was probably one of the earliest West Coast artists to kind of do it. I know Risk and Slick were in in, um, in the UK, you know, in the late 80s. Um, and I think they had done back there here and there. And I know like X had been out there in Switzerland. And, um but, I, you know, I, I started traveling through Europe, uh, I mean, yearly, every year, maybe a couple times, just, you know, trying to meet people and, and paint. Yeah. So when you first started out um, going, you know, out there on work trips and painting, were you trying to, uh, like, take it easy and not get busted, or were you, like, just going for it? I was just kind of going with the flow, you know. I wasn't really kind of, like, known as a hardcore bomber. I really, like, really enjoyed the, you know, doing the paintings and the pieces and but, you know, I would find myself in situations where I, we were painting trains or, you know, jumping fences and doing freeways or doing whatever, you know, like that was just, uh, you know, we were out there doing things and, you know, having having fun that, that most uh, young writers were, you know, would do today. And you know, I was just doing it then, you know. Yeah. I know from yeah. my own travel experiences, like, um, you know, you're being a foreign uh, country and you uh, you meet up with a local rider and when when they take you out yeah you just sort of following them and going with the flow and you end up in these like crazy places doing doing things that yeah. you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't normally do back home you know exactly you know like there was such a there was a huge graffiti bust in San Diego that really kind of shook our scene and, and really put a huge dent in the movement you know um, down here and um, you know, I stopped painting in San Diego. I was painting in L.A. I was painting in T.J. Anywhere but San Diego. You know, I was just so kind of like just bummed out, you know, about our scene and what had happened. Um, you know, our mentors, you know, the people, the guys that were older than me, they weren't they weren't teaching younger people. They were keeping secrets, you know, because everybody wanted to be the best. They didn't want to share anything. It seemed like it was real kind of strange yeah you know for a time um and very competitive you know like we would do things to psych people out we would tape up our cans you know so they didn't know what brand we were using you know or we just do weird things just to kind of get in people's heads um but uh yeah just yeah kind of like weird times yeah so when um, so did you find a big uh, big contrast between painting in America and painting in uh, in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. Because they were just so, it seemed like uh, the community accepted them, you know, as a movement. Like they understood. Like these are these are our youth. You know what I mean? Like this is our youth, and this is their voice. We understand what they're doing. They may not always be down with it or under you know get behind it, but the artists 
aspect of it. You know, I mean, they, they might not like the bombing aspect of it, but like they can't deny the artist aspect of it. You know, so I think that's why, um, and the colors and just the techniques and and they had superior paints and and uh, a lot more to offer when it came to colors. I mean, I remember in '95 when I was in in Germany, I I walked into a hardware store and I fell to my knees when I saw the rack of colors that they had. I had never seen anything like that. I was always used to working with, you know, mauve or, or maybe if you were lucky, you'd get a can of hot pink or you'd have like, you know, um, you know, like these weird yellows or jades, which are all great colors, but then you wouldn't have hues. You wouldn't have options to kind of like for depth unless you were mixing your paints. And like sometimes we were really lazy when it came to wanting to mix our paints. And um, so, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I remember smuggling a lot of Sparvar home through my luggage and uh, just painting with that paint, which is, I mean, Belton and in Norway painting with Quick, um, it was just great, great paint. Mm. Yeah, it was the birth of of a new industry back then. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I guess we kind of saw it coming, you know, like, um, before even the paint was being distributed here in America, you know, like, even before they were even making MTN out there or marketing it, you know, like, I mean, Belton is probably the earliest example of, like, some of the oldest paint that I was using in Europe. Um, uh, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know the the politics or anything like that when it comes to the paints companies or anything like that or who was doing it first or whatever. But, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, just using, seeing seeing what it had to offer and then bringing it home and then, like, kids just fiending for it, you know, like, oh, my God, like, you were so advanced if you had, like, four cans of Belton in your rack with your Krylon and and your Rust-Oleum, you know? Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that with all like the color selections and um, you know everything like that. I've actually gone backwards and just use a lot of roller paint these days because I'm I'm sick of yeah. It's kind of smart, man. <laughs> yeah, you can get it. It's actually pretty smart. Yeah, <laughs> smart, smart, man. Very little spray paint. Right? Exactly. Just outlines. Just where needed. You know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So you um, you're saying like yeah, after those um first trips to Europe it sort of sparked a lot of uh, to and froing. like did, did you uh, start exploring other parts of the world as well um, not so much I think I did some stuff in the states you know like after that trip in 95 I, I just told myself I just after being so inspired by Europe and like just the vibe like I was like I'm going to come home and I'm going to draw I'm going to get even better I just, I just told myself I'm just going to get better I'm going to do everything I can just to do new and exciting things. And because I had an outlet in skateboarding, I was able to explore those, um, those ideas. And, um, you know, it just meant money for my, for the business owners. I mean, and the pros, everybody was getting paid off of these ideas. You know, I mean, I made a living, but I, you know, I didn't become a millionaire like the owners, the owners of the companies, you know, I just kind of like was just happy that I had a job drawing. I didn't know how to protect myself as an artist. Um, yeah. So, but I came home just like hungry and graffiti, hungry and developing my style and painting better and, and being a better uh, graphic artist. And I think shortly after that trip with evil, I got another, I got a phone call from Ken block again. Um, he was, he hired, uh, Ali Asha, a worker more from fat farm and Mecca fame. 
um, to do dub and D drawers clothing design. He was a clothing designer and they were looking for a graphic artist and Dave Kinsey had left to go start tree fort and expedition. And so like, they were like, well, we know, you know how to use a computer. We want you to come back and you know, the company's different now. And, and, uh, you know, I was like, ah, oh, go back to DC and, and be with these guys. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump at that. And so I did. So in like 96, I think I went back to, to DC shoes and, and drawers and dub by then eight ball was already dead. Yeah. And, um, and so when you finally left the, um, the skate industry, is that when you, um, started bunny kitty? Did you like leave to start that? No, I started bunny kitty in 2001. Mm-hmm. So I didn't leave the industry until 2010. Okay. So I had, but I had bunny kitty for a long time and it was starting to pick up steam in around 2004 and 2005, people were calling me and making orders. And then there was like, um, you know, like, I mean, the industry changed a lot because there a lot of like the mom and pop stores were having a hard time after nine 11. And, and, uh, I went through a long Valley, you know, like I went through a lot of changes in my personal life that affected me and I couldn't concentrate on bunny kitty, you know? And, and, uh, I remember in 2007, Cause I have left cause now we're jumping around cause we're jumping a lot, you know, in, in comparison, I'm trying to parallel or keep the, uh, graffiti and the skateboarding stuff kind of close in, in, in the timeline. But like I had left DC in 96 to start Circa with Chad Muska in 98. Okay. And yeah, so like I went, I was there. And I think that was around the time I got down with COD with Wayne and those guys in New York. And um, I got down in 96 with Wayne and COD. Anyways, but um, I went to go start Circa. I came up with the name and I did the logo for Circa. Um, I was only there for eight months and I separated all their brands. They had an umbrella distribution company and they had like Special Blend, Forum, uh, Foursquare, and um, and then we started Circa, and so they hired me because they they were like uh, their art director was like, well, get us Persuay because we need him to to you know to do something cool and fresh. And so they they threw a number at me, and it was a pretty big number. And I was like, okay, I'll do that, you know. Whereas I, you know, in hindsight, like I don't know, I don't know why I did it, but I did. And uh, you know, I went I went to, and started Circa. And, uh, I was only there for eight months and I left, I went back to Osiris cause they wanted me to learn how to design shoes. And I really wanted to be a shoe designer. And I did Osiris for about seven years designing their footwear and, you know, did a lot of trips to Asia. And I think that's when I started traveling to Asia and doing graffiti. And, um, yeah, 2001, I was at Osiris again and, uh, I started Bunny Kitty and um because of this hiccup in life it kind of like the only way i was able to tell its story was just painting it in the streets and that's what i did you know and um i don't think there was very a lot of very cute kind of graffiti stuff at the time you know i think flying fortress was doing their thing of course one two three k clan had their aesthetic and style and Foffy was doing her thing and then there was like you know a handful of other kind of character oriented like artists out there doing graffiti and and uh, 
you know, the birth of Bunny Kitty was, yeah, it was around 2001. But it took me it took me many, many years to get the character and the universe uh, dialed in. I mean, I have there's about 30 characters. I mean, I haven't been able to introduce the entire story yet, which I'm working on um, right now uh, to do the second book and to introduce a, another side of Bunny Kitty, like a darker side of the story in the universe and the rest of the cast of characters, you know, which kind of gets into like you know rock and roll music and rap you know hip-hop and graffiti and and you know while you know this character this innocent kind of like character with fresh eyes is kind of taking it all in and trying to you know digest it so i'm just trying to tell it you know i'm basically almost living the story of bunny kitty in real time yeah (laughs) at the moment yeah and has that um, like opened up a whole new market for you as well? Yeah, because of like um, I, um, because of the comic cons, you know, like and collectors uh, and people that are familiar with, you know, uh, Persuade and my history. Uh, they've seen me, uh, you know, go from one thing to another, and yet you know, be relevant. You know, like staying relevant as an artist is one of the hardest things to do, and I've been some. I guess somewhat relevant for the last 30 years because I've been painting graffiti for 30 years, you know. And Bunny Kitty is 17 years, almost 17 years old now. So uh, you know, like the fan, the old fan base is there, and um, new supporters are there, and like with the Comic Cons, it's almost like the new, like kind of like action sports trade shows like vibe, where you know that's kind of like where the young industry is now, you know, like. Kids want to cosplay. Kids want to like geek out on, you know, new characters or universes that they or artists that they discover, you know, and like. So I find that being at these comic cons, that people will walk by and see Bunny Kitty, and they're just drawn to it. They'll be like, either it's the character, or it's the name, or they're cat lovers, or they call their boyfriend Bunny, and the boyfriend calls their girlfriend Kitty, or it's just all this weird. <laughs> This weird stuff, and it's like open its doors to like this really fun, new and fresh environment for for me and and for Bunny Kitty and for my family and stuff like that. So it's it's real dope. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I bit... get I get to intro- and I get to introduce graffiti to them if they're not familiar. You know, they may think that, like Bunny Kitty is street art, but like the the founder of Bunny Kitty is a graffiti writer, and I. I stick to the rules of graffiti in everything I do, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Has it been great for you to, um, you know, uh, with all the experience you've had through working in the skate industry and um, on lots of different projects, you can bring all that experience and put it into something that's 100% your own? Oh, it's great. Yeah, you know, like, I've had a lot of people try to get their claws on Bunny Kitty. A lot of people in the skate industry have tried to, partner with me that you know that maybe when I was younger I would have gone for it because I was like I didn't know any better you know um or you know um somebody they wanted to partner with me recently and it just you know I wanted to do it but my lawyer was like you don't want to do this and they pointed out reasons why and I was like I understand you know so it's like you know even though I know a lot when it comes to like okay branding and coming up with ideas and and putting product out there or marketing stuff, 
you know, there's, you just don't know what's going to present themselves, you know, what's going to present itself to you, you know, like, um, it's like, I've got to protect this thing. Uh, and until I could do it the way I want and do the project just and do it right, I don't want to do it half-assed, you know, so I'd rather keep it really just kind of really concentrated to myself and, and my partner, um, uh, you know, and uh, my family. And I think, you know, when we did the uh, the, campa- the campaign for the book, when we reached out to the public to see if there was interest in me putting out this Bunny Kitty children's book, the response was overwhelming, you know, like we raised a, a great amount of money to people that were touched by the story I was telling and that wanted to have a little piece of Bunny Kitty in its history, you know? So for me and for like the letters and the, and the pictures and all the, the, the pieces of fan mail or whatever I get from people, it's just like, that's the fuel to our, to my fire, you know, that's why I do. And that's why I'm, I just sacrifice working for somebody else to just concentrate on trying to get bunny kitty to where it needs to be, you know, like, which I would love to, for it to be an animation and tell stories of like growing up and, and reality through animation, you know? Yeah. So with you know? the, uh, with the book, the, uh, the origins of bunny kitty, um, like you hand painted all the images for that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It took us, um, actually my fiance helped me with the paintings, a lot of it, you know, um, she was a huge help. Uh, and we probably, I mean, for about six months straight, about six months, I'd say about five or six months, we were working six days, six days a week from anywhere from eight hours to 13 hours a day painting the pictures. And because of my, um, my approach in the paintings, a lot of people, they're digital, but they're not, they're actually hand painted. Like everything's hand done in that book. And um, I'm hoping that one day I'll be able to uh, to show the paintings in, a, in an environment where, you know, it's it's worthy, you know. I'm, I'm hoping that that day will come. Yeah. And, uh, I think people will get a real kick out of seeing that they are paintings. And I, oh, my God, like the quality of line work is it's, it's pretty, pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've, you've got a yeah. um, really clean style. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. I've got a, uh, a friend, um, Joe, over in London, and um, like years ago, he was talking about doing a, a comic, but he wanted to um, yeah. like paint every cell, like on a wall or a train or a track side yeah. or something like that, you, and then it, it's piece funny. it all together. Did yeah. he ever do that? Nah, he was he was not active enough. He would have still been working on it now, and that was like 2001. He was it, talking about doing that it, stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it you was know, a good that was something that. Yeah, that was an initial idea that what I wanted to do with Bunny Kitty was paint the pictures on the walls and make them temporary. And, like, that would have been cool. But, like, I think in the long run, I think I did the smart thing by painting them on wood panels because now they're going to be family heirlooms. You know, when I die or pass on, they'll stay in my estate and they'll move with my daughter or my kids or my family, you know, and hopefully they'll keep them safe. Mm. Yeah, because... With the uh, the book, it sounds like it was a you, know, you pulled, um, you know, your, your mum helped you as well, and you know you had your yeah. fiance helping you, so it was a real uh, you know family experience for you as well. Yeah, no, I mean it was like everybody had my back, you know, like from the publisher to you know one extra 
run to my fiance, to my family, uh, to my friends. I, even though a lot of my friends didn't really understand what I was doing with Bunny Kitty and didn't get it, they they still they still you know had my back and made things easy for me to uh, pursue it. You know, uh, I had put everything into. I was living in California. I moved to New York uh, three years ago and did all the paintings in New York, you know, with uh, not that much money in my bank account, you know, just trying to live out this uh, this passion project. Um, yeah, so. It's important to do that, though, because if you don't want to die with these things in you saying, oh, I couldn't afford it at the time or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I had written the story. I wrote the story um probably 13 years ago and I mean the book came out two years ago the first book and I mean it took 11 years for it to see the light of day and it was a huge sacrifice on a lot of people's it was a gamble on a lot of people's uh, you know in business and stuff like that but in the end it it, it was a winner mm. uh, I mean it's not like you're not gonna find it on the shelves of Barnes and Nobles it's still a very underground I work with a very underground publishing company and, you know, everything kind of falls back on me as the, um, the person pushing this thing. It's like being in a, in a independent kind of like rock and roll band or something, you know, you're just out there on the road trying to make it happen. Yeah. So, so, so being that you're, um, like, you know, your work, you know, with your graffiti, you've done graphic design and, um, you're, you're doing your bunny kitty stuff as well like do you have any desire to um like make it as a gallery artist or anything like that you know for a while i thought i did uh, you know it was something that like oh i had to do that i saw all my contemporaries all my friends doing it and making moves like that and they were like dave you know like why are you doing bunny kitty when you could be pursuing you know gallery type work you're such a talented guy you could paint anything you know or like take any approach and why bunny kitty you know <laughs> Um, but for me, like I said, it was like these things that I had to get off or, you know, I had to get it off my chest and I love branding. And I think with Bunny Kitty it encompasses an aspect of pop art and fine art and graffiti and, and everything, um, you know, and, um, on the side, you know, I'm doing a lot of other type of paintings. Like I do a lot of abstract paintings and, you know, I love to show those one day, but I don't know if that's in, in the future for me, um, during you know, maybe it's 20 years from now when I when I have maybe I have a bigger voice and I can say like I want to show an aspect of me, you know, my escapism from the bunny or something, you know, like. Um, but as of right now, in our career in the in the fine art, uh, I just really don't see that happening. Hmm. Kind of figuring it out. Um, there's a lot going on, you know. So yeah. just trying to trying to make the the better moves. Exactly. Um, so you don't have a, like an end yeah. goal that you're trying to achieve. You're just sort of going with the flow and. Um... Uh, yeah. End goal is to find a you know, a network that wants to produce an animation with me. Really, I mean, really, that's where I want it to be. I, I love merchandising. I love to to make you know merchand you know bunny kitty clothes and bunny kitty toys and 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 all that stuff. You know, I I love to take care of my family through those means and. And, um, you know, donate some of the, you know, money in my mom's memory to the Alzheimer's Association and build awareness through Bunny Kitty uh, of that disease through Bunny Kitty and, 
and uh, stuff like that yeah. in her memory. And uh, I, I should make mention when we were talking about, you know, early pioneers that were doing, you know, um, character oriented uh, type um, marketing and brands through their graffiti was I overlooked one important guy, I feel, is uh, Dalek, you know, um, with the space monkeys. Um, I really always loved and admired what he was doing with that. And he was working for um, Duff's in the mid-90s when I was at DC Shoes, I think. And he was their artist or art director for, for that shoe company. And I remember seeing the space monkeys all the way back then, you know. And that's a long time. Yeah. And I remember you know, meeting with him and talking to him. He's, oh, I'm getting away from the space monkeys. I'm going to go get into other stuff, you know, and, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I can understand why, you know, I mean, sometimes I, I don't feel like painting or drawing bunny kitty, you know, and, and um, so, he, you know, he found it, his escape through his uh, geometric paintings and abstracts, which are beautiful. And, and now, he, but now he's back, you know, um, painting space monkeys again and showing space monkeys and talking about his history with that, which is, you know, which is awesome because he's one of the earliest people that I could, that I know of that was tied to graffiti and skateboarding doing that, you know? Mm. So yeah, I think as an artist, it's good to have a few um, different styles to play around with as well. Yeah. Like I'll, I, I I'll, be, I'll be in the studio painting a lot and I'll be craving to go out and do a piece. But if I'm out, painting graffiti all the time I, I just crave to do studio work and then I've got right. some other styles that I work with as well I just I like to mix it all up but um I think too much of one you just get uh you get a bit burnt out on it and think oh I need to get away from this and do something else but um it's nice to have a few yeah. different things to move move between I agree yeah I think that's where I find myself is kind of always moving in between things mm. yeah yeah but um, like knowing what you know now, like, uh, would you have any creative advice for your younger self? Oof, um, I would say protect yourself. <laughs> as far as when you go into work and business with people, it's like, you know, just get a understanding of like what they're getting from you and 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 um, what you're giving to them, and and protecting yourself uh, through a. A contract whether you want to own your your drawings or you know in the long run so they can't keep it and keep selling and licensing your artwork around the world and because I've had instances where that has happened you know I've had people steal my drawings thinking they own them because I've done them in the 90s and they're still making money off of them you know um, yeah I think that would just be probably one of them and get what you're worth yeah um, especially um, yeah, just don't under, under underestimate your worth, uh, you know, in the industry. So I think that's what I would probably tell myself, uh, my younger self. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. um, there's a lot of artists out there doing work for brands, and I don't, and I think people are just happy to be receiving money and not, not thinking about, um, you know, what they're actually giving as far as, you know, it's like their their art form. I think it's different if you work yeah. as a graphic designer or a commercial artist. And you're right. just sort of, um, you know, up, you're just doing it. But um, I think if you've actually got a right. style that you've developed yourself, you want to you want to really make sure that's you want to hold on to those. Yeah. You want to hold on to those. It's like every time I do anything with Bunny Kitty, somebody wants to do something with that character. 
always have to sign a contract saying that they don't own the artwork, that I'm, I'm le- uh, licensing it to them. Mm. Um, e- even uh, recently, I was approached again by DC to do like a 90s capsule, um, being one of their earliest artists, and I reapproached um, some of the old 8-ball graphics to be my capsule and my release just to pay you know, awareness to some of these old, you know, some of the old art that was really popular and back then, back then. And, you know, um, I didn't sign anything when I got fired from the fans. You know, there's no handbooks or contracts saying that they own that artwork. So technically, I believe I own that artwork. Whereas, you know, in some companies, they've made me sign something saying I'm not, I'm not going to sue them for the artwork that um, they'll use in the future that I designed. You know, so it's important for the artists that are out there working for these brands to protect themselves. Yeah. And if you're drawing, if you're drawing stuff and you're being modest, but you're working for, you know, a multi-million dollar company and they're making millions of dollars off of your graphics and, and designs, then man, you either better be getting what you're worth or you better um, because when you leave, you'll never be able to, you know, use that artwork or, or you'll have to get permission from them to, to, to show it, you know? And so like to go back to this whole DC capsule, it's, it's like I sent them the designs and I said, Hey, you know, I didn't send them the, the finished designs, but I told them, I was like, send me the licensing agreement because because I want the licensing agreement to say that I still own this artwork that, you know, you guys used in, you know, 92. Uh, you guys don't own this again. Once you pay for me, you're paying for the license. You're not paying for ownership of this art, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's important for, for young artists and for um, for these designers to know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, look, I worked 25 years as an artist in skateboarding and action sports. I, I've seen a lot of uh, my peers become very successful off of, uh, you know, my contributions. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a, it was definitely a group effort, you know, but I just so happened to be the artist and it just so happened to hit and it just so happened to work for many, many companies that I worked for. Like most of the companies I, I worked for were worth tens of millions of dollars at one point you know and i was the sole artist behind this these guys yet i don't have anything to show except my history and i get to talk about that and i i guess that's it finally i'm able to do so because for so many years i've been silent about it and i don't think anybody knows my contribution to skateboarding or or um or streetwear or, or the evolution of all that stuff. I think they probably just think it's some other guy, you know, and, and it is that other guy, but I was there too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think as I, um, going back to what you were saying about, um, licensing agreements and things like that, if like, I find that when you work with like say big brands, um, they, they've got no problem in giving you one, like a, something to sign. If you know what I mean? Like even I've even known just through working as a freelance designer in um, different agencies. As soon as I get there on my first day, they've like got me signing some agreement to say that all yeah. the designs I do, they own. You know, and uh, exactly. I think I think as an artist, sometimes you feel a bit um, overpowered and a bit like, oh no, I don't want to scare them off and everything. But sure. in actual fact, it's a really important part of the process. You know, and if you're going to 
give them, you know, if, if they're going to do that to you, you're going to give them your best work or your personal work, then yeah, just, uh, you know, hope that the money will be there or don't give them something that's so personal to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, um, thanks for being generous with your time. We'll, uh, we'll start wrapping this yeah. up. But, um, yeah, if people want to uh, check out your work, where's the best place for them to find you online? Uh, I have a website. It's Dave Persuay. I spell Persuay, P-E-R-S-U-E, uh, DavePersuay.com. If you want to, you know, um, get behind the Bunny Kitty product uh, that I have or, and purchase some product uh, or a book or something, you can find the book on BunnyKitty.com or uh, Amazon. Um, you can find the book on Amazon. Uh, my Instagram is um, Persuay1. P-E-R-S-U-E, number one. And I also have a Bunny Kitty Instagram, so it's underscore Bunny Kitty underscore. And that's where you'll find me. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, um, yeah thanks for taking the time to have a chat. It's been, uh, it's been really hey, good to find out more about it, your, your career. Uh, thanks, Tom. I, th I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about it. And uh, I hope one day we get the opportunity to meet in person, maybe sure. do some painting and, and, uh, and stuff like that, man. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, sir. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To find out more about today's guest, go to benchtalkpodcast.com. There you will find all previous episodes and images of the guest's artwork. Also, follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. There you can keep up to date with all things that are happening with the podcast. Bench Talk's also streaming on SoundCloud and Facebook. Just simply search for Bench Talk Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review. It helps get the word out. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.